Well, good morning, church. Hey, it's going to be a great day here at Edinburgh Church. I believe that. And uh, if you are a guest, I want to give you also just a warm welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, I kind of have two quick things and then um, kind of a big announcement to make. Uh, but first, uh, just want to remind you guys, we have our baptism service coming up. It's going to be our lake baptism service out at Weaver Lake. We'll, we'll have a picnic, and then we're going to get to, we're going to, get to see, witness some people making a decision uh, to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ out there. And so for some of you, it's time to literally take the plunge, right, to say, I am all in. I am all in on following Jesus Christ and uh, I want to encourage some of you to uh, step up and get baptized. Um, I promise you, we will bring you out of the water. We won't make that mistake again, okay? Okay, we've learned uh, a few things around here. No, it's going to be a great time. And there is a class right after service today for youth and for adults um, Pastor Bob will be leading in the fireside room, and then if your child, Nancy, will be leading the class as, as well. But uh, we hope to see many of you step up and make that, that, that profession of your faith this year. Um, also, hey, tomorrow, registration opens uh, to sign up your child, your children for our Awana ministry, okay? So um, it is a first-come, first-serve uh, kind of deal. And uh, we do usually every year have a waiting list. So you want to act uh, as soon as possible on that. It takes a, an army to pull off our Awana ministry. We still need some volunteers. We don't want a waiting list, and you can help us with that. So please consider also uh, stepping up and, and being a volunteer uh, for our, our, our Awana ministry this, this year. We believe uh, it's going to be a great year of Awana here at Edinburgh Church. And, and, and now I want to make kind of a big announcement. M many of you know um, we uh, are passionate around here uh, about family. With our Fight for Family initiative, our children's ministry, which continues to grow, our youth ministry. Um, and so the leadership team found ourselves thinking, right, what if we could hire somebody to kind of oversee family ministry, to lead our family ministry. And uh, we prayed about it, and God just seemed to align some things. Someone who could bring some fresh vision and help bring some continuity to all the different uh, family ministry areas, uh, and also just some overall leadership and, and advocacy. And uh, God just put it strongly on our hearts that the man for the job was Pastor Tyler Rowland. Do you guys want to give Pastor Tyler a round of applause? Because he said yes. And we'll now officially be stepping into that position. Some of you parents might be a little nervous right now wondering what that means uh, for Pastor Tyler concerning uh, his involvement with youth. I just want you to know he's still going to be our youth pastor. He's still going to be very uh, involved. He's going to be overseeing uh, senior high. But we are putting some strategies in place to help alleviate some of the responsibilities, such as we're going to be hiring a junior high pastor uh, to help out so that he can have some time freed up as well 
to, uh, again, just bring some leadership and fresh vision to our, our, our entire family ministry, as well as our Fight for Family initiative here at Edinburgh Church. So I hope you're as excited as, as we are about that. And what, what I actually want to do, Pastor Tyler is going to be giving the message uh, today, so I'm going to go ahead and call him out. We want to commission him as a church, amen? That's fine. And uh, we understand it's not just uh, it's not just Pastor Tyler stepping to this. It's, it's his wife Laura. It's his entire family. We want to pray for her uh, as well as she's helping to raise four kids. Okay, right? It's true. Oliver, Bennett, Eleanor, and me, and Tyler. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna have to really pray for Laura. Um, but we want to pray for this man. We want to commission him. We want to be in agreement as a church as he steps into yeah. this new role. So let's, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, you know uh, how passionate we are here at Edinburgh Church for seeing families thrive. And God, we know that when you are at the center, good things happen. So we want more of that, Lord. We want, we want more of you. And uh, you have led us to this. And so we are excited. And we see what you're doing, bringing Pastor Tyler into this, into this position to help lead and uh, just uh, advocate for, for families. And so we want to commission him as a church. We want to anoint him and Laura, God, and ask for your blessing on their family. Uh, God, I'm going to pray that you use their every gifting, how you have wired them, who they are. Uh, God, we want to just turn that over to you right now and ask that you take it all, sanctify it, and use it to bless families, both here at Edinburgh Church, but even beyond our walls in our community as well. So God, now we ask that you would fill Tyler, fill Laura, fill their entire family with your spirit. Fill them, fill them, fill them. We commission them. Now to step into this role and to make an impact in this way, all for your glory. We are in agreement as a church, and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Thank Woo! Good morning. Uh, I guess I don't have to introduce myself this morning. That's uh Brent already did that. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we're so glad that you guys are here. Uh, I am Tyler, uh, and I'm the family pastor here at Edinburgh Church. Uh, and uh, I'm just really honored to, uh, uh, when they asked me to consider this role, uh, and one of the things I did tell them, I was like, okay, I'll consider the role, but I'm not getting out of, like, the trenches. Like, I'm, I'm staying in with the youth and, and diving in with the kids. My wife and I, we serve with the kids and everything like that. And I'm humbled by the weight of what this means. I'm humbled at the, uh, uh, what, what this means because I'm, I'm passionate about seeing students and about seeing kids. You know, my own kids are walking through the kids' ministry. I'm passionate about seeing kids and students who know Jesus and are growing in their relationship with Jesus. Barna Research did a study that came out uh, a number of years ago, and it said that 80% of people accept Christ before the age of 18. 80%. So when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few, He's talking about kids' ministry and youth ministry because that's where, that's where God is just moving in the hearts and the hearts are, are ready and the hearts are ripe for the gospel of Jesus. And I'm, I'm so excited and I often joke, I've been in youth ministry for 16 years and I often joke because when you've been in youth ministry that long, many of your friends and your colleagues and different people, they go and they become senior pastors, they plant churches, they move into adult ministry. And I often say that what I wanna do is I wanna get a shirt that says, sorry you got demoted. Um, 
So I might get Brent one, actually. I, I might do that. Sorry you got demoted. Uh, but I, I'm just, I'm really passionate about seeing uh, uh, people know Jesus, and especially kids and students, and I can't wait to take uh, already the great things that have been built here that we can build on and be the cheerleader and celebrate and just uh, uh, cast vision and ask God to do more in our family ministry as we, we learn what does it mean to disciple our kids, what does it mean to, to, to like storm the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we fight for our family. I'm so excited uh, to step into this, but I do humbly ask also if you would pray for me. Um, because uh, in this new role, it's going to stretch me. And I want to lead well. I want to lead with humility. I want to lead in the way that God has called me to. And, uh, and you guys who have been around, you know that I am uh, uh, what you see is what you get, hopefully. Uh, and so I want to continue to lead in that way. Um, and, and I'm just excited. And, you know, the idea of, of hiring uh, both excites me and it terrifies me all at the same time. Uh, and thinking about the weight of that, but I'm so excited, and I love the team that we get to serve with, with uh, Beth and Tammy and Nancy and Kelly as she's transitioning off. And I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, today is actually Kelly Hedberg's last day. She's faithfully been serving for four years as our associate student pastor, and so uh, if you could just help me just thank Kelly. I don't know where, where's Kelly here? Kelly, there she is back there. Kelly, thank you. Thank you for uh, the impact that you've had in the lives of students and everything like that. And uh, obviously Nancy Hedberg also, as she's uh, beginning to transition off here in the next couple weeks, uh, just the, 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 the building blocks that have been laid here um, is going to make my job a lot easier. So uh, thank you to them. If you see Kelly, if you see Nancy, Nancy's still here for a couple more weeks and everything like that. She's serving. She's not going anywhere or anything like that. But uh, just thank a family ministry team member, Tammy, Beth, Seth, Nancy, Kelly, um, just I mean, man, what a team. And so uh, just pray for us as we, we seek to uh, uh, share the gospel with students and with kids. And we want to see uh, lives changed. That's what we're doing. That's what we're, this whole thing is about. It's about transformation. Seeing lives changed. That's what our church is passionate about in so many different areas. And I'm blessed to be a part of a church that says that's what we want to be about. So would you pray with me? And then let's dive into what I'm actually supposed to talk about here this morning, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you know us, that you love us, that you have called us to something greater than ourselves. God, I thank you that you are in control, that you are the God who knows, you are the God who cares, you are the God who sees. You are our victory, God. So would you just, as we dive into this story, would these be your words and not mine? God, would you be glorified? I pray for the hearts of everybody listening, the people that hear this. Uh, God, would you speak uh, in only the way that you can so that as people hear the words that their hearts are transformed and their eyes are focused on you, God. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said. And the devil said. There we go. Uh, well, we're wrapping up our series, uh, uh, this summer series we've been doing called Summer Sunday School for Grown-Ups. Summer Sunday School for Grown-Ups. And we've been asking you guys, what are those stories that you guys want to hear? The beloved Bible stories that maybe you were taught in Sunday school, or maybe you started coming to church uh, as an adult, and you're like, I don't know the story of Jonah and the whale. Or, I kind of know it, but I don't really know it. Uh, and we've heard uh, things like Jonah and the whale, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Peter walks on water, Moses. And I would say that uh, the story that we're going to dive into today, David and Goliath, if we didn't do this one because it was suggested we would be in trouble because this story is one of the, the most beloved stories we have in the Bible. And so I think part of it is because David and Goliath is, is a cultural staple. It's something that we hear in our culture, in our society. We love the idea of the little guy taking on the giant. 
We see it in all our movies. We see it in our sporting events. If you've ever watched uh, a, a big game where it's an underdog facing against the, 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 the great team or whatever it is, and they say it's the classic David and Goliath battle. And there's just something about the story of David and Goliath that we can all relate to. I think if we're really, if we look at it, we can really relate to it. And I remember growing up, uh, I had a, a moment where it was my David and Goliath moment, if you will. Growing up, I was uh, not very tall, um, and it hasn't progressed much since. Uh, I was uh, kind of a small guy. I didn't play football because I wasn't very big, and so I played soccer. And I was 15 years old, and my David and Goliath moment came up. 15, it was the summer Champlin-Dayton Athletic Association end-of-the-year tournament. Let me just set the scene for you real quick. I don't think ESPN 12 was there, but uh, it was the end of the year, and we were the 8-4, and four, number 6 seed, and we were set to face off against the 12-0, and 0, number 1 seed, the Galaxy. And we literally had a David and Goliath set up for this team. Uh, this high school team, there was a high school on this team uh, who I was pretty sure that he was 16 going on 36. Like, he's the type of guy that you look at and he's like at 16 years old. He had more muscle tone than Brent does now, like at 16. Where's Brent? Huh? I don't know where he went. That, I wrote that in there for you, buddy. But this guy was huge, and they were 12-0, and 0, so you can imagine, we've already played them twice that year, you can imagine how well that went for us, it was 12-0, and 0, and we had one of those games, and there was this kid on the team, we actually called him on the sidelines, we called him Goliath, because he was that big. And I remember one of the games uh, in, during the season, we were playing against him, and there was this moment uh, where he was running for a 50-50 ball, and as he's running for the ball, Curtis, one of the guys on our team who was shorter than I was, just to give a little perspective for you, Curtis was running for the 50-50 ball, and they came right at the same time, and they collided. And I watched Curtis's leg go like this, and it snapped. I would re reenact the sound, but I won't do it, but, because it was gross. So you could imagine... What we're feeling at this point, because this guy tried to kill one of our teammates, and we're going up against them in the championship, and so it was a hard, this hard-fought game. We were battling. We were on a hot streak, but we were coming up against this gauntlet, and the battle, it was tied 2-2 in stoppage time when there was this beautiful pass that was put over. One of our forwards put the ball in the back of the net, and we went ahead with just, just about two minutes left in the game, and we won the game 3-2. David was triumphant over Goliath. Thank you, thank you, yeah, yeah. But we love these things, right? We, we love this idea, and we're thinking to ourselves, like, you would have thought we won the national championship. We just went crazy, and we're like, oh, this is park and rec soccer. But, like, it was awesome. It was those moments. We love those moments where we often look at the story of David and Goliath, and we make this point that in this story we got to be brave like David. we got to step up. we got to face up, face our giants, stand up to the giants in our lives. But what if I told you? What if I told you, well, I can see how we can pull some of these lessons here, that that isn't actually the point of David and Goliath. And I'm not trying to come against our Sunday school teachers or anything like that, so don't try to fight me in the parking lot or anything like that, but I think that we need to look at the story of David and Goliath and dissect it and really look at it and go, what is the greater story here in the story of David and Goliath? And so what we're going to do for the rest of the morning is we're just going to dive into the passage in 1 Samuel 17. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen as well, but open up and just kind of put your thumb in 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to be reading... 
out of the New Living Translation, but you can follow along with me as we go. But we're just going to dive in and we're going to read through this story because there's something super interesting about this passage. And as we dive into it, when you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament or if you've read in the Old Testament, oftentimes when we read about battles... When there's a battle, it's like the Ammonites faced off against the Israelites. God moved and the Israelites won. Oftentimes when you read in the Old Testament all of these stories, uh, it's just very like matter of fact. It's like these people faced off against these people and then there was a battle and done. But it's really interesting here in 1 Samuel 17, we get all of these details like, like there's, a, there's so many details that come, and it's almost as if God is, is like drawing our attention to this story, the story of David and Goliath, and saying, hey, pay attention. There's this greater narrative here that we would be missing if we didn't pause and stop and look at the story of David and Goliath. So I want to encourage us, if you've heard the story of David and Goliath, or maybe you've taught the story of David and Goliath, or, or you just, you, like you're sitting here going, I know the story, I get it, Tyler, it's fine, I'm just going to doodle on my paper. Let's, let's pause. Let's stop and let's take a look and, and see if we can see what this greater narrative is here in the story of David and Goliath. You guys ready? Let's do it. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through, so make sure you keep your thumb in it. We're going to read a little bit, pause, read a little bit, pause. And, and for those of you that have ADD, you're welcome. Uh, those of you that don't, sorry. All right, here we go. <clears throat> verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, and they camped between Sakah and Judah and Azekah and Ephesdamon. Saul countered by gathering the Israelite troops in the Valley of Elah. The Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley in between them. So we open up. And here we have the story. This is the Philistines, Israel's enemies to the west. They had come and they had invaded Israel. It says they invaded Judah. The fight had come to Israel. It doesn't say that, that the Philistines were in the Philistine area and the Israelites were in the Israelite area. It said that the, the Philistines had come to Israel. They had come. They had come and stood against God's chosen people. And so the stage was set. They're facing off on each side. If you picture it, there's a hill over here, a hill over here, and there is the Philistines over here and the Israelites over here. And the battle is imminent. Verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks and faced, uh, to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, and he wore a bronze helmet, and he had a bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin over his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped uh, with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. And his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So enter the giant. A man who was not only physically superior to all of the people of Israel, but he was technologically superior. As he came up against them, and it gives this great detail, which is super interesting. It gives the detail of down to like the weight of how much the spearhead weighed and how much his chainmail weighed. And, and we get this detail just trying to paint this picture of this problem that the Israelites had. The problem of this giant. And it says he came out as the champion. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to underline that word champion because that, that word for champion is significant. Because oftentimes when we think of the word champion, we hear that today and we associate it with winner. But in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, what it means essentially is the man between. Do you see that? 
The word champion means the man between. So he comes out and he stands as the man between the armies, as the representative in between the armies. And they were calling for a champion from Israel to come and to be the man between, the representative, to stand in the gap. Do you see the connection? Verse 8. Goliath stood and he shouted taunts across to the Israelites. Why are, you all, why, why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then, you will be, or then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. King Saul was terrified. He looked and he saw this obstacle. He saw an enemy standing before him who was physically and technologically superior to him and all of his people. And he was terrified to the point where he was shaking. And the Israelites, they were facing bondage. They were trapped. There was nowhere that they could run. In the same way, as Christians, or as, as people who live in this earth, we run into this problem of sin and death. A problem that we could not face, that we could not deal with, that we were trapped in bondage. And then enter David, verse 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, the, the Ephronite, from Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was his youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, in that moment where bondage was inevitable, that they were terrified, that they were shaking, we enter, we get an unexpected character who enters in. And if you are familiar with the, where uh, 1 Samuel 17 falls, in 1 Samuel 16 is actually where Samuel goes and he anoints David as the next king of Israel in an unexpected way, in an unexpected place from Bethlehem. He comes in. And so what we have here is all of a sudden enter into the story an unexpected king from Bethlehem. Do you see it? Verse 16, it says, For 40 days... Every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. The Israelites were hopeless. For 40 days, he went out and he strutted and he mocked them and he made fun of them. And I think, I just wonder how much, how much can we relate to that? That maybe there's this giant in our life. Maybe it's this past sin or this mistake that we've made. And Satan, he likes to take it and he likes to use it. And he likes to strut it out in front of us and mock us and, and get us to the place where we are hopeless. The Israelites were there. They're going, what do we do? So enter David, verse 17. One day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And then give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report to see how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So we have this unexpected king who comes in. 
And he rides into the situation, not as the conquering king, but as a servant, bringing lunch. He's riding in like the Domino's delivery guy, coming in and going, hey, here's some cheese, here's some bread. And he's coming in as a servant. Does that sound familiar? Somebody's story that we read in the New Testament about this guy named Jesus who comes not in as the conquering king, but comes in as a suffering servant who rides in. Verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd, and he set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with the shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and the Philistines' forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. Verse 23, as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. The unexpected king comes in as a servant and leaves his things. He leaves his sheep with other shepherds. He leaves his things with the keeper of the supplies, and he steps into the battlefield. Just like Jesus came to this earth as a human, he left the comforts of heaven and he stepped into our world. He stepped into our hopelessness unexpectedly from a town called Bethlehem. Are we seeing the picture? Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, being Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? They said. He comes out each day and defies Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give the man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will the man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. He's looking at it going, who is this? Who is this giant compared to the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, Eliab, heard David talking this way, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway, he demanded. What about those sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know that you are for pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. David comes in and he's like, who is this Philistine? Who is this pagan that would stand against the living God? And his brother, the one who should have been fighting the battle, gets mad at him. And he falsely accuses David of being for selfish gain. Just like Jesus was accused by the people who should have known, the religious leaders. The people who should have known about the Messiah, who should have known that he was coming. They accused Jesus of bad motives when in reality they were the ones who were supposed to be the fighters. Verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I will go fight for him. I will go fight him. Don't worry about this Philistine, he told Saul. I will go fight him. And just like that, Israel had... 
a man between, a champion. But not without doubters. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied, verse 33. There is no way that you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. Saul was like, hey, your methods, the way that you think you're going to do this, it will not work. Sound familiar? These methods that Jesus came, these methods, they're weird. They will not work. You're crazy. But Jesus came in, and he turned things upside down. Verse 34, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this with both lions and bears. Oh my, that's not in there. Uh, And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. It is the Lord's battle. It is God's battle. When there seems to be no way, God makes a way. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. May the Lord be with you. Saul's like, all right, good luck. And he sends them out, which... Okay, we read that and go, like, well, Saul, shouldn't he be the one fighting or whatever? But props to Saul also because he's like, okay, we're going to send this champion out. Because if, remember, if David loses, they're all going into bondage. So there is a little level of trust that Saul has going on there. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off, and he picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the shepherd's bag, then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. David, the unexpected king, the man between, came in and was going to face a giant in unexpected ways. Verse 41, Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Other translations say the handsome ruddy-faced boy. She had that going for him, I guess. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. And then comes David's famous battlefield speech. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here, here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, he took out a stone and he hurled it with with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk in 
And Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath. And David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And the champion, the man between, faced off against the giant. And it was God's victory. The unexpected king stepped in in unexpected ways, in unexpected tactics, from an unexpected place, and he wins the victory. Just like the story from the New Testament of Jesus. So often we read the story of David and Goliath and we think the application is if we have God's help, we can be like David. And with God's help, we can face our giants so that we can go and we can go out there and it's like this rah-rah speech where we're like, go just be like David. Ah! It's like right before you go out onto the field. Be like David. But here's the rub. Do we see it? In this story, we're not meant to be David. In this story, we're not meant to be David. Where are we? We're sitting on the hill, shaking in fear. We're the Israelites, in fear and in bondage, waiting for, just like waiting for the man between to step in, for the champion to come in. We're King Saul because the giant is too much. He's technologically, he's physically superior to us. The giant is too much. You and I, us, we are separated from God because of our sins. And the punishment for that sin is death. And that is a giant that we could not defeat. That's the giant. Sin and death that separates us from God. And sure, listen, okay, our enemies, our enemies might be the Philistine army. Our enemies might be the Philistine army. Our Philistine might be pride. Our Philistine might be lust. It might be bitterness. Maybe it's just that one thing that you can't seem to shake. You know what it is in your life. The Philistine army is who we're battling against. But we can't ever, ever, ever imagine facing the army because there is a giant in our way. There's a giant. And until that giant was destroyed, there was no hope. And that's who Jesus is. Just like David was the man between for the Israelites, we have Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater David. That is the point of the story. The story of David is not about getting up and facing your giants. Yes, we have our Philistines that we're worrying about, but the story is about the greater David. It's the foreshadowing of a Savior, the foreshadowing of the man between Jesus is our victory. And I love this next part of the story. And I think that this is actually our application for today. This is the application I think we need to hear today. It goes on, 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. When the Philistines saw that their champion, their man between, had, was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah gave a shout of triumph, and they rushed the Philistines. Chasing them as far as Gath to the gates of Ekron, the bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the roads of Shamran. 
as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite armies returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. Jesus is the greater David who defeated the giant. A giant that we could not face. He went ahead of us. He defeated sin and death. And he did it by dying on a cross to take the punishment that you and I, that we deserved. And he died for us as the man between the champion of our faith, of our salvation. And it says that once David defeated Goliath, There was a great shout of triumph, and the Lord's armies rushed the Philistines. As soon as as the champion had defeated the giant, I wonder how many of us, how many of us are still sitting on the hill shaking in fear because there's this giant in our life. Because we haven't looked to Jesus to fight our battle. We haven't looked to Jesus, the greater David, who wins the victory over sin and death for us. So many of us are sitting here in bondage and in sin and in fear and in hopelessness because we think, I have to face my giants. That's not the point of the story. It's about Jesus who comes in as the man between. And when we see our Savior, when we see our champion, Jesus who fights for us and goes before us, we can rush the Philistines because we follow the conquering king. Do you see it? That's the God that I worship. That's the point of this story. See, the story of David is not about being strong enough to defeat our sin or our struggles. It's about fixing our eyes on the champion, the man between. And when we see the champion fighting for us with confidence and shouts of triumph, we can chase our Philistines. Because Jesus defeated the giant. So that pride in my life can be laid along the road in Jesus' name. That lust issue in my life can be laid along the road. The bitterness issue, the self-righteous issue, the fear of the unknown can be laid along the road. And we charge in Jesus' name because he is the greater David. That's the story of David and Goliath. That's my champion. That's the God who I worship. That's where I go and when I'm hopeless, when I'm in this place. And I just wonder and I just pray that maybe some of you are sitting here and you're still sitting on the hillside and you're going, I, I, I'm so afraid. And I want to encourage you to come like at the end of the service to come down and pray with some of our, our people down here in the front and say, I want Jesus to be the champion in my life. I want, I want him to be the leader of my life. I want him to be the man between who stands in the gap for me so that he deals with the giant so that I can face tomorrow. I wonder how many of us take the story of David and Goliath think it's something that we have to do when all we really have to do is put our focus on the conquering king the champion the man between us that's the god that we're going to worship 
That's the God that we're going to sing our praises to here this morning. I want to encourage you to stand as we pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to sing these praises to the man between, to our Savior, to our conquering King, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you so much that you are for us, and if you are for us, who could ever be against us? God, I pray that you, that everybody in this room would understand and would know that you are the man between. You are our victory that we want to build our life on you. Do it again in the lives of anybody in this room, God, that needs to know you, that needs to surrender to you and say, I need to make you the leader of my life. Do it again, Jesus, just like you've done it in my life, just like you've done it in other people in this room's life. God, would you do a miracle when you bring us back to life? God, and I pray for those of us that are listening to this going, yes, but maybe we're, we're, we're following you and we want to follow you, but we're stuck in some bondage, God. The story is still the same. You are the man between that we need to fix our eyes on you. And so, God, if we are walking in in defeat, God, would you turn our eyes to you? That we would repent, that we would come and lay it down at the altar and say, Jesus, I am fixing my eyes on you because you are my champion. You are my leader. You are the Lord of my life. And I want to turn and fix my gaze on you, the man between. Jesus, do what only you can do. We pray this in your name. Amen.